Welcome to episode seven, my conversation with Colin from St. Louis. This is the Straight Up Gay Podcast. to the show. I am Major, your host for the Straight Up Gay Podcast, where I have conversations with people about their experiences related to the LGBTQ community. This podcast is dedicated to learning more about LGBTQ people by having personal conversations and sharing their experiences. Keep in mind this show is free of cursing, but we may have conversations about human sexuality and topics related to sex and gender that may result in awkward questions from young children. If you're not prepared to answer those questions, turn back now. Today is February 4th, 2017. Before I get started today, I just wanted to bring up something that one of my listeners asked me to talk about, which was how I got here. I have leaked a few tidbits of information about how I became such an LGBT or a pro-LGBT person. Uh, The listener asked that I uh, give a full intro or at least a full description of how I came to be such a pro-LGBT person as a straight cisgender man. So I decided that I would go ahead and, and introduce myself a little bit or at least say how I got here. So back in 2009-2010, I started going to a community college in Illinois working towards my computer science degree. I initially registered for classes kind of late. I decided, you know, kind of on short notice that I wanted to go back to school and get my degree. And so I went to the local community college. I signed up for classes and I started registering and I was looking for something to fill the minimum required of credits for uh, at least half-time or more so I could be a half-time student and use the benefits from the military that I have. When I was looking for classes, uh, a lot of the stuff, because I registered so late, a lot of the stuff I wanted was filled up, and I didn't have the opportunity to take some of the classes that I did want to take, that I knew I wanted to take. And one of the classes I saw was anthropology. I had no idea what anthropology was, I had no idea what it would entail. I didn't know anything about it, but I needed a social science class, and it was open, and so I decided to register for that class, and I said, ah, it's kind of a small class. There weren't a lot of people registered. Let me take a look at it and see if it's something that I can do, or maybe I'll like it. You know, Maybe I'll learn something new. So I signed up for the anthropology class, and uh, on the first day, we met our professor, Professor Peter Mortensen. Uh, That guy was incredibly smart. Um, He knew a lot about anthropology. He was also the professor for the meteorology class. The guy knew a lot of stuff about science, and you could just tell that he knew what he was talking about. He had shown pictures of his time spending uh, his research days in in different tribes uh, around the world and, and doing anthropology, and it seemed he also did some sort of marine biology a class that he would do every summer and showed pictures of us with his mohawk. He would shave his, the sides of his head and, and grow out a mohawk. He had kind of long hair when I saw him. And so he was an interesting guy. He taught us a lot about ethnocentrism, which is the evaluation of other cultures according to the perceptions and standards of customs in your own culture. So you kind of view other cultures through the lens of your culture. And when you understand what ethnocentrism is, you can kind of step back and and look more objectively at another culture's customs and and standards of culture 
that are different from your own without viewing them through that same lens, or at least viewing them less through that same lens. So we learned a lot about other cultures. We learned about the newer tribe and the ghost marriages and all kinds of really interesting stuff about other cultures that you don't normally hear about uh, in other classes. It was really interesting. I liked it a lot. I learned a lot. It was a great class. And one day we started talking about homosexuality and same-sex marriage and how in other cultures it's viewed differently. It's not such a taboo thing. And we had a whole class about dedicated to this, not just specifically for... It wasn't like he was pushing some sort of agenda, but it is. it was the topic of the day. There was a lot of same-sex marriage issues in the news and they were fighting for their rights going on and at the time I was just a person who was a fence sitter uh, I didn't really feel strongly one way or the other about it I, I kind of I think in my opinion at that time was I don't think it's right it's strange to me it doesn't make sense so but it doesn't affect me you know I'm not gay I'm not looking to be married so I don't care if they are I was kind of ambivalent at best uh, Professor Mortensen, he then, you know, started the class and was explaining how in other societies, same-sex couples and same-sex marriages were perfectly normal parts of the culture and society. They were viewed as an everyday thing. People didn't give it a second look. And then he made the statement, um, I'm trying to recall the best I can, but he made a statement, something like, there is no legitimate reason why we cannot let or why we should not let same-sex couples get married and have legal marriages. Which, of course, in Illinois, which is kind of a red state, unless you're in the Chicago area, a lot of the students didn't seem to totally agree with that. And it wasn't that they were shouty and, you know, indignant about it. Uh, they just were like, oh, you know, I don't think that's true. And, and so we started this discussion about it. And it was more or less just answering questions, the students' questions. And he said, well, what are your legitimate reasons for why we shouldn't allow same-sex couples to get married? And people threw out all kinds of reasons why they shouldn't let same-sex couples get married. Uh, one of the ones they threw out was, it's not natural, which is a pretty common you know, argument against same-sex couples. And his response was, well, it does occur in nature. There are several mammalian species that do it. Bobono apes are our closest relatives, genetically speaking, and they have all kinds of same-sex, group-sex um, type orgy things that um, they do and they're our genetically closest relative and so it does occur in nature so what you're saying about it's not natural you don't even have a clear definition of what's not natural everything comes from this planet there this whole idea of you know natural stuff you know well hemlock is natural and it would kill you poison ivy is natural and, it, and if you eat it it would kill you it gives you a rash if you get it on your skin so the idea that something natural is something that is good for you in all cases is just absurd. And so the idea that homosexuality or same-sex relationships is, is unnatural is just patently false and not true. He, of course, you know, I'm not an anthropology professor. He, of course, gave better examples. I'm kind of just paraphrasing what his argument was. And it was really, you know, okay, he started to really start to take on questions from the other students. So one of them was, well, same-sex couples can't reproduce it and that's the point of marriage is to have children and and propagate the species in society to which he responded that well women who are barren or men who are sterile can't have babies are we going to stop them from having children or stop them from getting married and he also said that elderly people who are widows and widowers they're no longer able to have children are we going to stop them from getting married because they can't reproduce 
And so, in my opinion, that was the perfect answer. You're exactly right. It, just because you can't have kids, there are people who choose not to have kids and get married. And so, if the standard of you, you can't have children is what we're going to use for keeping people from getting married, then you shouldn't be allowing elderly people to get married. You shouldn't be allowing people who are sterile or unable to have children get married, in addition to homosexual people. Uh, this kind of back-and-forth discussion with the students went on for some time. Uh, I can't even recall all of the arguments that people made, but there are a lot of the same arguments you can find from people who are conservative, or at least maybe not conservative, but they're anti-LGBT and not supportive of same-sex rights. And a lot of the arguments you hear online, he answered in this class and just refuted one after another and, and showed and proved with good, legitimate arguments that there is no good reason why we as a modern society cannot allow same-sex couples to marry in our society and be part of our normal culture. We have just some sort of religious, puritanical taboo on sex and relationships that started when we you know, started founding this country when we came over seeking religious freedom from the early American days. And that has just continued on. And it really boils down to a basic religious objection, which, again, a lot of people who are Christian, even Muslims, some sects of Judaism will object to same-sex couples on the basis that it's a, it's against God, it's an abomination to God, and things like that, which is all well and good for your religion. Uh, that's usually the biggest argument that people make, is that it's against, it's an abomination to God, and that's all well and good. If you don't want to have a same-sex marriage because, one, you're not gay, and two, you think it's an abomination to God, that's great. Don't get one. That is perfectly within your right to hold that opinion. But the instant you start telling someone what they can and can't do based on your religion is where you're wrong. Telling people that they can't get married because the Bible says a marriage is between one man and one woman is fine for you. If you want to live your life that way, that is perfectly acceptable. And if anyone tries to tell you different, I would defend you to the ends of the earth for your right to believe that. However, your belief does not give you the right to stop people from doing what they want to do as long as they aren't hurting other people. Two gay people can get married as long as they are consenting adults. They are allowed to get married in our society. They could be Buddhists, which Buddhists, most Buddhist sects don't have taboos against same-sex marriage. And so by you using your Christian beliefs to prevent same-sex couples from getting married, you're just infringing upon their religious freedom. And a lot of these Christian people who are fighting for these religious freedom acts and bills in their states and federally don't seem to realize that not everyone is a Christian. There are plenty of people like me who are atheist or agnostic who don't want to follow your religion. And we don't care what your religion says. There are also religious people, Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, any other religion. If their religion doesn't have a taboo against it, you have no right to tell them they can't get married. I don't care what your religious book says. Their religious book says different. In this country, we have the freedom to practice our religion or practice no religion. And you can't use your religious values and impose them on someone else. And I can't use my religious values and impose them on you. You don't have to marry them in your churches. I totally support that. But you can't stop them from going to the courts or getting some other person who is legally allowed to marry them and let stop them from getting married. 
That is not your religious freedom. That is your using your religion to oppress someone else's religious freedom. And it's so frustrating that sometimes we can't get people to understand that. That is when, after having that class and realizing all of the bad arguments that people had against stopping same-sex couples from getting married, that is when, from that week, I think it took me about a week to kind of rationalize and think of through it and go, okay, I have no good reason why I shouldn't be supporting this. And ever since then, I became a outspoken supporter of same-sex marriage, equality for same-sex people, having every single right that a heterosexual couple does when they get married, without exception. That includes adopting children, having surrogates or have children of their own, everything about the family life that straight couples and heterosexual couples can do, I support for heter homosexual couples. And I would like to point out that the American Anthropological Association in 2004, after President Bush made a call for a constitutional amendment banning gay marriage, had this to say about same-sex marriage. The results of more than a century of anthropological research on households, kinship relationships, and families across cultures and through time provide no support whatsoever for the view that either civilization or viable social orders depend upon marriage as an exclusively heterosexual institution. Rather, anthropological research supports the conclusion that a vast array of family types, including families built upon same-sex partnerships, can contribute to stable and humane societies. The executive board of the American Anthropological Association strongly opposes a constitutional amendment limiting marriage to heterosexual couples. The American Anthropological Association is the world's largest association of anthropologists. They have studied cultures and societies around the world for more than a hundred years. There is no evidence to support any sort of ban or prohibition on same-sex marriages. None whatsoever. There are plenty of societies around this world who developed stable and humane societies, which include same-sex partnerships. We should all be supporting them and ensuring that they have the same rights and equality as heterosexual couples particularly in the freest country in the world, the United States of America. Before we get on with the show and, and I introduce my guest, I also want to bring up someone who recently found my show. person's name is Stefani Lara. She has a blog at www.stefanilara.com, which is S-T-E-F-A-N-I-L-A-R-A.com. I'm going to post the link to her blog uh, in the show notes and on the webpage at www.thestraightupgaypodcast.com. But she found my show recently, and she gave me a really great review. I've looked at some of her blog posts. Um, she enjoys the show. She's become a listener. And she sent me a link showing what her review of my show was, and I really appreciated it. And I said that I would also mention her blog on my show as, you know, some sort of cooperative, you know, promotion so that we can each help each other get more views and more listeners. She seems like a very interesting person. She posts, you know, several blogs throughout, you know, the past few months that I've read and she has a pretty interesting story and she's just sharing about her male to female transition and, um, it seems really interesting, and I think that a lot of people who like this show would like to maybe check out her blog. So if you get time and you want to check it out, please go ahead and go on there and review. Take a look at her blog and look at her review of our show, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. And now we'll continue with our regularly scheduled guest. And today I'm speaking with Colin from St. Louis, Missouri. 
Welcome to the show, Colin. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing fine today. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad you're doing well. Thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, I was running short of guests recently, and so I had to make another trip to Reddit, put a, a, a question out there to hopefully get some people interested in being on the show. I got many responses. You were one of the more interesting ones that I was really uh, anxious to have an interview with. And luckily, both of our schedules married up quite nicely, pretty quickly, so that uh, I have an episode for this release. I try to release one every week, and, and I didn't have one, and, and you came through in a pinch. And I appreciate you being on the show. So thank you for being here. All right. Always glad. So just like I tell everyone, you know, most of the listeners in the show, I send out a pre-interview question and I ask us, uh, I ask you guys to uh, tell us more about yourself. And so some of the interesting highlights I want to point out, it says you're Romanian and you're going to the University of Missouri studying math and physics. You have a unique um, position. I, I like to call the um, the LGBTQ experience a spectrum. You know, there's a range of of sexual and gender identities that we can all fall in. And you fall into a pretty unique category, I think, in that spectrum. So please take a second, tell us about yourself, um, tell us about your gender identity and your sexual identity so that the listeners of the show, um, because they don't, this isn't video, they don't know, um, they, they need a mental image, if you would. And so please just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. And so I identify as non-binary trans man or trans masculine and there's various labels that can fit me and what trans masculine basically means is that you're transitioning and are assigned female at birth and you're not necessarily fully binary male but you're identifying towards that identity okay so just to clarify explain to the listeners if who may not know what non-binary means and what binary male and binary female female are specifically right so binary is the two simplest genders that most people think of, male and female, that most people tie to their birth sex. But there's also identities in between those two, or they're completely outside or encompass multiple genders. And non-binary is those identities. Okay. All right. So basically, binary is the standard um, gender identities of man and woman, or not man, male and female, right? So... Most people who aren't experienced with LGBT experiences, they don't usually recognize any sort of gender identity other than male or female. And so non-binary is basically what you would be in the middle if you didn't really identify as male or female, right? It's sort of some non-specific identification. Is that about right? Simply yes. Okay. And so you're from Romania. Do you, you live in the United States now? You're going to the University of Missouri, Missouri that's right? St. Louis University. Oh, okay. So um, you weren't born here, right? No. And so when did you come to the United States? I came seven years ago. So I went to middle school, high school, and now college in the U.S. Okay. And are you planning on um, becoming a citizen? Is that your goal? Or do you plan on returning to Rom Romania after your schooling? Currently, I have a green card and I'm studying and I plan to finish my studies and medical transition, legal transition in the United States and then move back to Romania. Okay. So you're going to do your medical transition, what people in your situation would say female to male, right? And so yes. you're going to do that here and finish your schooling and then return home to Romania. That's correct. 
Is there any particular reason why you decided to do your transition here versus Romania? Well, there are currently no resources in Romania. Very few people are actually transitioned medically in Romania. So okay. It would be exceedingly difficult and take years and even decades to do that transition. Okay. Okay. So that's something I didn't know. Now, one of the other things that's interesting I'd like to know is in Romania, how acceptable is it to be an LGBT person. Do you have family? Like, do you visit Romania regularly? I mean, do you, I, I'd hate to ask that question about Romanian culture if you haven't been there since middle school. So maybe I should find out first um, if you are integrated into the culture and to the society in Romania. Yes, I have been to visit once since it's been kind of hard with visas to go back, but I went last summer and that was without being out to anyone. So I present as cisgender straight female because although the laws protect LGBTQ identities in Romania, people aren't aware of these anti-discriminatory laws and also the transgender communities. It isn't very clear whether that is protected or not in the law. And there aren't too many people that are out, so it's basically a non-issue. Okay, so for the most part, it's a protected class, right? So you're, it's illegal to mistreat LGBT people or discriminate against them. Is that correct? Yes, although it still happens because the Orthodox Christian religion is very prevalent in the Romanian society. And it's not been very open to LGBT identities. Right. So that's what I was getting at. So it seems like it's a protected class. It's illegal to discriminate against LGBT people, but not a lot of people adhere to that or are aware of it. And so for the most part, LGBT people live closeted in Romania. Is that about right? Yes. Unless you're in a major city, no one's going to be out. Okay. So it's more acceptable in the, in the metropolitan areas to be an out LGBT person. Yes, it's much more acceptable, especially since much of the youth live in metropolitan areas. The elderly tend to stay in the countryside. Okay. So as far as your LGBT experience, um, you are what I would say transgender, right? Yes. Okay. So as, as your experience as a transgender person, I always like to start from the beginning and maybe explain to the audience what that first experience was where you felt that you were assigned the wrong gender at birth. Or, I mean, that's what we understand it now, but when did you know that you were different from what other people were experiencing? What was the first experience? So I'd say my experience with that is pretty atypical, especially since I'm not completely binary. And as a child, I didn't care much for gender. I didn't think much of it. It was really during puberty with the physical changes that I noticed the my dysphoria and that there was something wrong with being female. Uh, wrong how? So g expand on that a little bit for me, if you would. So when you you started going through puberty, you were assigned female. And so you started developing a female body. You would get breasts. Um, you probably started your menstruation, right? And so... What was that? I mean, if you could maybe explain how or what you you just said it felt wrong, right? And so maybe try to clarify that a little bit. Maybe can you expand on that some? Well, I was just terrified of developing further characteristics as a female and wanted to get rid of them. Okay. And so did you ever do anything to try and hide your female characteristics? I know sometimes trans people, when they're female to male, they may try to um, bind their breasts up so that they're not as 
um, noticeable when they wear clothes or they may wear more masculine clothes. Did you do anything as a child or as a young person to sort of mask those female attributes? Yes, I did. And it wasn't the most healthy thing, but I starved myself and to stop that progress of puberty and not develop into a female. Okay, so, so I didn't really change my clothing, but I was trying to stop those physical changes. So I wouldn't have to. Right. So you, you tried to you tried to keep your body from developing further by restricting your food intake. And I just had if you listen to the last show um, that I posted, um, the mother of male to female transgender person. I'm sorry, she did the same thing because he didn't want to she didn't want to develop as a male. And so I'm not really sure if that's common among trans people. Have you heard of other people doing that? Um, is that a pretty common thing that young people do when they start developing at puberty and they're a transgender person? Do they try to, I get, not that they try, but do they end up developing a eating disorder in order to stop their, their development at puberty? Well, yes, that's something that's a lot, that's very common in the transgender community. It's about 7%, I believe, trans people do develop eating disorders. It's mostly to stop those characteristics of their assigned sex. And it's one of the highest rates of any group. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something new I learned. I I figured that it wasn't, um, that maybe eating disorders wouldn't be something that would be correlated with transgender people. But uh, it seems that it's starting to become, the more I interview transgender people, the more it seems to be uh, one of the things that they talk about is part of their experience. And that's really unfortunate to hear. It's, um, I know eating disorders can be tough. Some people can develop anorexia or bulimia, and both of those are really difficult to deal with. And it's really unfortunate to hear. I'm sorry that you had to go through something like that. But it says here that you had a problem after you identified um, as non-binary for a while. You couldn't get people to change their the pronouns that you use. So I guess were you, what kind of pronouns did you want people to use? Um, if you're not, if you were identifying as non-binary, like what were you trying to accomplish? This was before many people knew about uh, neutral, gender neutral pro- pronouns. I was trying to get people to say them theirs for my pronouns and not use heavily gendered language. And no one really cared. Right. So, but give me an example, please, if you would. Like, what are some of the non-gender pronouns? Um, the only ones I know, really know of, of is... Um, uh, you would say they or them or even it, which um, I think it has sort of like a negative connotation because you're it gives the idea that you're not human, uh, which I would take is to be a derogatory uh, pronoun. Um, so what were the, some of the pronouns that you wanted people to use? There's a lot of pronouns, but I wanted to keep it simple and easy to use. And they, them, theirs is already in the English language. So that's what I went with. Okay. And you just, you would ask people to say they, then, or them and theirs, right? And they, and they just wouldn't go along with it? Yes. Okay. And were these like friends or coworkers who were not agreeing to your desired pronouns? This was in middle school and high school. So it was at school with my closest friends. And I was friends with a lot of people in the LGBT community, but most of them were cisgender. So. Okay. So you really got, you got more pushback from the cisgender people than you did from other LGBT people, I'm sure. I didn't get, I couldn't get anyone to follow those pronouns. Oh, really? So not even, not even other LGBT people would, would use the, the non-binary pronouns? No. 
Okay. Do you know, I mean, it seems like maybe that might not have been intentional. A lot of people get accustomed to he and she or him and her. Maybe at, it was probably just, or it could have been, I don't want to say probably, but it could have been just force of habit. You don't normally refer to a single person as a them, uh, unless you're talking about them in the third person. Like if you weren't there, you know, do you think it might've been unintentional that they wouldn't use the non-binary pronouns? Yes, I think it was. You don't think um, it was? No, I think it was. Oh, you think it was. Oh, okay. And I didn't really push it very hard. Yeah. So they weren't being, they weren't being because... malicious by refusing to ignore your, or refusing to use the preferred pronouns. No, and I don't think you're very educated on non-binary identities either. I wasn't educated, even though I identified as non-binary. So. Yeah, and it's, it's a very unique um, part of the LGBT spectrum. I don't know much about it. I, I, I'm aware of the term and I have a general idea of it, but you are the first person that has ever identified as non-binary that I've spoken with. And so this is really just an opportunity. I'm just trying to understand more about what that experience for you is like. And so I apologize if some of these questions are too personal, but it's just something that I want the listeners to learn about because it doesn't get discussed a lot and it's not really well understood. And so you're my first opportunity to share this experience with other people. So I just want to, again, reiterate, I appreciate you being on the show and sharing that experience with us. And I hope this conversation doesn't make you too uncomfortable. I'm pretty open about my experiences as a trans person. I want people to know what it's like. Okay. Well, and I really appreciate that. It's really good that there are open and out people about their sexuality so that people who don't experience those gender identities can learn more about it. And hopefully that will bring about the greater acceptance and uh, integration of LGBT people in our culture, especially non-binary people. So it says in the beginning, you kind of thought you were a lesbian for a while, but you were not identifying as female. And you didn't want to be the girl in the relationship. Is there any? Is there a a story tied to that? What was that experience like? So I was throughout high school, and I didn't really explore that part very much, and I wasn't very interested in romantic or sexual relations. And I didn't want to have that gendered language or to be the female in the relationship because of that dysphoria that I would feel from being identified as a female. Okay. Um, so did you in school um, and throughout middle school and high school is usually when people that age start having boyfriends and girlfriends and dating. Did you have relationships and date while you were in school as a non-binary person? I did not date at all. I didn't have any relationships. I, I was a very reserved person and I tried to date one person, one of my close friends and, and it just it, the end of senior year, but that was it. And it just didn't work out? No, it didn't. Okay. And so around this time, you started to learn more about trans issues and um, neutral pronouns, and you started to understand your experience, right? Like this was the moment you started to realize, okay, this is what's happening to me. Is that about right? Yes, it is. So how did you get in? How did you start to find out about non-binary people and transgender people what where did you first discover that identity this was from that friend that i tried dating and she suggested i look online and get involved in the lgbt community online and to have support from other members of that community and i started learning more about the different identities and what dysphoria is and i learned that that's what described my experience so i started identifying as transgender 
Okay. So you, the girl you were dating, um, you guys obviously realized that the relationship that you were trying to start wasn't going to work. Um, and I guess from what I'm gathering, what you are saying or what you're explaining is that she recognized or maybe you revealed something um, that gave her the impression that maybe you needed more to discover more about yourself. Is is that part of, am I close? Well, it's not close. I, like I was saying, I was a very reserved and quiet person. She wanted me to be more connected to the community. Right. But what I mean is, is you said the relationship didn't work out. And what I'm, I guess what I'm getting at is because you weren't really sure about your identity, you didn't know at least or fully understand how you were different or what was different about you. Did Was that something that prompted her to say, you know, maybe you need to get more involved and look into understanding more about your identity? Is that clear? Is that well, not- at that point, well, at that point, she didn't know that I was struggling with my identity. Oh, okay. She didn't know it. So I think it was more to get into a community based on terms of sexuality rather than gender identity. Okay. All right. So she, it was basically just, hey, you should be more involved in the LGBT community. You should learn more about it. And, and that's where you discovered it then, at just by being more involved. Yes. Okay. And so you're out now with most of the people that you know, is that correct? Yes, and I'm out at school, and I'm out with my immediate family, my doctors. Okay, so your mom and dad know that you're a transgender person? Yes, they know. And how long ago did you come out to your parents? Well, I've been telling them since my puberty started. I don't feel like I'm either male or female. They didn't listen to that mention. This last summer, I told them I came out as binary trans. And how did... This doesn't really fit in my experience, but it was what would help them understand best. Yeah. And how did that, um, when you first told them that you were transgender, how did that reaction from them go? What was their response? Well, they were very shocked since they were expecting me to be cisgender since I wasn't very masculine as a child. That comes from my experience of being non-binary, not really caring. But they thought that to be transgender, I would have shown symptoms when I was younger or wanting to be much more masculine. But that's not the experience of every trans person. Right. So they just expected that you would have been more tomboyish, right? You would have been more rough and tumble and, and maybe your mannerisms and your behaviors would have been more masculine than your experience was. Yes. And because you weren't that way, they were really surprised. Wait, what do you mean you want to be a boy? You don't even act like a boy, kind of. That was their response? Yes, they were very surprised, especially since I was feminine even for a girl. So. Okay. Was there any um, arguments? Did you have any fights? Did they threaten to kick you out or anything like that? Or were they, uh, aside from the shock, were they pretty accepting of your um, coming out as a transgender person? I wouldn't say they're accepting of my transgender identity, but they're supportive of me otherwise, and they wouldn't do anything to endanger me. And I know that they still love me, but right now they're just not understanding of this part of my identity. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, it's definitely good that they're not, it it doesn't turn into real big fights and arguments and threats of kicking you out. Uh, Some transgender people do have those experiences, and I can imagine not having the support of your family can be pretty tough. And it would be nice if they could better understand uh, your identity. And I, and I hope in the future that um, they come around and, and start to realize that you have a unique 
gender experience that's you know not like most people and but but you still deserve to be treated like a person and accepted into society like everyone else and so i hope eventually that they come around and and you get the love and support that you would like to see from them as far as your friends in school and at at the university are they pretty accepting are they pretty supportive i mean do you have a nice community of friends around you who encourage you and support you yes my university tends to be pretty liberal and involved in social justice issues so a lot of my friends are accepting and they use my name and my pronouns and well that's good i mean it's that's even better that you have a group of friends especially at school who you spend a lot of time around and and can support you so at least you have a good support network uh nearby if if the uh, unfortunate happens and your parents never really come around to fully understanding you at least you have a good friendship uh a good network of friends that um, you can lean on. And so that's definitely good to hear. And I'm glad that you have a group of friends that are supportive and encouraging. So when you decided to come out and tell your friends at the university, what were their reactions like initially? And when you come out to some people who you are, you make new relationships with as far as your friends, um, what kind of reactions to telling them you're non-binary or transgender uh, what are some of the common questions? What are the some the common reactions that they have? Well, I'm out as binary trans to most people because most most of them aren't aware of non-binary identities. But since it's at the university that I'm out the most, most of the responses have been accepting. I haven't met a single person that has pushed back against my name or pronouns. And really? So I've had positive results from those those coming out experiences. Well, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. And as for questions that they ask, it's mostly about how my transition has been and what they can do to be supportive. Okay. Well, I mean, that's actually pretty good to hear. I mean, I'm glad that you haven't had really any negative experiences from any of the people at your school. I guess that's a good sign. I mean, it's unfortunate that most people or many people don't understand non-binary transgender people. But hopefully maybe you can share this show with them. We can get a, get me some more listeners and maybe uh, some people can understand non-binary people a little better. What do you say? Sounds good. Yeah. You're going to help me out, get some more listeners, get your friends listening? Yeah, I'll yeah. try. All right. All right. I appreciate that. So um, unfortunately, you know, uh, I want to talk about some of the negative experiences that you've had as being a, an LGBT person. What's some of the negative aspects of being an LGBT person? It says here that you really can't come out to most Romanian people. Why is that? Can you explain more about that? As I was, as I was saying, it's that conflict with the Orthodox Christian religion that causes them to think very negatively of members of the LGBT community. And not only am I trans, but I'm queer as well. So that double identity that they would have a conflict with. Yeah. So when you, after school and you plan on moving back to Romania, do you plan on living your life what people would call stealth and not being out to people in Romania at all? Would you basically just be living your life presenting as a male? That's something I haven't decided yet, whether, since I'd like to expand upon trans issues in Romania and try to advocate for rights. But And being out as trans would help in that, but I'm not sure. I'd really want to put myself in that position in a society where people really aren't aware of the issues. So I'll certainly be trying to educate people about trans issues, but I'm just not sure if I'll be doing it. Do you have an idea about how you'll go about doing that? How you will educate people without having to be 
out yourself, do you plan on partnering with any sort of organizations or, or working at any sort of LGBT organizations in Romania? Do you have any idea at all at how you're going to try and advance the acceptance of LGBT people in Romania? I'm not quite sure, but there are protests and marches yearly and pride, like pride marches that I plan on participating in and just educating people in daily life. And I'm, and if I'm stealth, I'll try to do that by bring, by just saying that it's a way to be respectful and they don't have to know that I'm trans. Okay. Well, that's, a, I think, a good plan. It's always good to partner with pro-LGBT organizations and help get the word out. And that usually, the more information people receive and the more exposure they receive about LGBT people, it usually leads to a, a more tolerant experience for people in those areas. So. I wish you luck. I hope when you move back, you don't have any risk to your personal safety. And I, and I hope Romania is one of those countries that will soon come around to be more tolerant and accepting of, of LGBT people. I hope that that experience goes well for you when you do return. Thank you. And it has been changing and positively. It's one of the countries that's made a lot of progress in terms of LGBT community. So I have hopes for when I go back. What do you think is the biggest factor holding it back right now from being as tolerant as it could be. Well, it's definitely that conservative part of society that people use the excuse of the Orthodox Christian religion for. But really, what the religion says is to love everyone and accept everyone. But people don't listen to that part or apply that part as much as they should. Yeah, um, I think in, in most cases, because of the Christian religion, in many instances, I don't want to stereotype all Christian people. I know there's plenty of Christian people who are accepting of LGBT people. Even if they don't understand it, they, they want to come from a place of love and acceptance for all people, including LGBT people. But it does seem to be a pretty consistent trend that most Christian organizations or branches of Christianity are pretty anti or non-accepting of, of LGBT people. And Hopefully we can, again, continue the conversation, put better information out there, and really hopefully get some people to come around and just realize that you're not choosing sin, you're not trying to be some sort of devil worshiper or anything like that. You just want to live your life in your skin in a way that you feel comfortable and that you don't have to feel like you're living in someone in the wrong body. And so hopefully this podcast, the more popularity it gets and the more listeners it gets, hopefully this will be a contributing factor to uh, increasing the acceptance among the Christian community of LGBT people. And I want to ask now about your positive experiences. Um, it says here that one of your good friends encouraged you to reach out into the LGBT community and learn more about it. Was that the girlfriend you were dating in high school who started that? Is that what that experience was? Yes, that is that experience. And then what happened after you started doing that? It says here you guys are pretty close and you you began your transition and stuff. Is that correct? Yes, I did. We're still close friends, but we don't have romantic relationship. Right. Okay. Yeah, it says you're friends here. And so that's good. At least you guys were able to stay friends and it wasn't something that, that separated you guys so that you couldn't remain friends with each other. But I want to know about... Um, your transition now, if that's okay. So you, how long have you started your, I always like to refer to it as your official transition in which you started to use medical intervention to transition your uh, gender, uh, gender expression. How long have you been doing that? So I actually started hormones for just over a week ago on Friday. So. Oh, okay. So pretty recently. Part of 
transition. I began the real social transition when I started college. So last summer. Okay. And did you have any difficulty getting the information and medicines you needed to do that? Or did you have to do counseling? I, I've heard other people tell me that they had to do counseling for a year with a psychologist or a psychiatrist, whichever one, before they were allowed to get hormones. It, did you have a similar experience or was it easier or more difficult for you? It was easier for me. Although my parents wanted me to go to therapist route and do at least a few months of therapy, I went to an informed consent clinic and got blood tests done and that was it and I was able to start hormone therapy since there were no health problems and I was understanding of the effects of the hormone therapy would be. So I was able to start that. Okay. So how did you find the informed uh, the informed consent clinics? I didn't know that we had, uh, in this country anyways, I didn't know that we had countries or clinics that would just let you start without some sort. I thought we still had kind of a gatekeeping problem here. How did you find the informed consent clinic? So informed consent is becoming more and more popular. And I just searched online for which doctors followed that practice and found a few in St. Louis and called them and saw which one I would be able to go to. And that's why I started. That's good information. I may, I may have to share that with other people. I didn't know that we had an increasing movement of informed, in, uh, geez, I cannot say that word today, informed consent clinics. Um, so that's definitely, uh, do you mind sharing which clinic you went to in St. Louis? So I went to Southampton, and there there were two doctors there, Dr. Pilatsky and Dr. Summers, and I saw the latter, and he's now moved to another building. But Southampton Healthcare is very good for transgender people in St. Louis. Okay, but do you, do you still have to go there for regular prescriptions, or do you have a reoccurring, you know, uh, like a permanent prescription? So my insurance covers only hormone therapy only if I actually go to building and see a doctor or a nurse so i have to go there to get my injection every two weeks oh okay all the oh. hormone therapy isn't the most expensive part of transition and there are programs such as good rx that will allow you to do it more or less expensive manner but i wanted to do it and have it all covered so i have to comply to those insurance rules sure i understand okay well that's good that your insurance covers it and you don't have to come out of pocket for it i can imagine it get pretty pricey pretty quick if you had to do it all out of pocket um, as far as your transition goes, you've basically then, you've just started hormones. Do you know, or do you have an idea of how far you want to transition? It's been my experience and my understanding that some transgender people don't want uh, sexual reassignment surgery in which they're, um, they have their penis turned into a vagina or vice versa. And that sometimes they just want to have uh, in your case, if you were a female going to male, that they would just want to have their breasts reduced so that they didn't have obvious breasts when they were dressed in, in uh, when they expressed their gender identity in the male direction, that th their breasts wouldn't be noticeable. So as far as where you see yourself, do you see yourself transitioning fully and going the route of sexual reassignment surgery, or do you want to land somewhere in the middle? Well, I would like to do the SRS also and do various surgeries and especially if I plan on being stealth I'll likely need to get those surgeries but yeah. it's also to help alleviate dysphoria and but yes I would like to do the full transition okay so you definitely want to have the full as far as you can get it to go as far as sexual reassignment surgery um, 
you know, the male hormones and any other surgeries that would make your gender expression as male as possible. Yes. Okay. And not all trans men do that since, med- since medically those surgical options haven't been available as long as the ones for trans feminine people. So and it tends to be very expensive too. So there's a bunch of factors that cause other trans mass people to choose to not do certain surgeries. Um. So what you're saying, uh, I didn't quite fully understand what you meant there. So maybe let me clarify and see if I understand what you mean. Um, so what you're saying is the female to male transgender people, that surgery has been around for less amount of time than the male to female surgery. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And it's more difficult, at least for, um, it's more difficult for a positive, you know, your perfect idea of what getting a penis would look like, right? Like it's the outcome isn't as good as you would like it in most cases. Well, some would say that, but a lot of surgeons have perfected their techniques. So it is at a good place to be in, but it is very expensive and not that many doctors perform the surgeries. And there are a lot of options for SRS too. So, okay. So it's getting better and and you're pretty confident that if you do get the sexual reassignment surgery that you would be pleased with the results. Yes. Okay. And so I we already talked about religion a little bit here and it says that you're an atheist. I also am an atheist. I've said it before on on other shows. I don't know if you've heard the other ones in which I admitted I was an atheist. Did your gender dysphoria and your gender identity have anything to do with that or are those unrelated altogether? Did you just never really have a God belief? No, and my parents are more liberal, especially when it comes to religion, so I wasn't too involved in religion even when I was identifying as Orthodox Christian. So I never really adhered much to my religion, and okay. I consider it's not related to gender issues. Okay, so that was those are just completely unrelated. Your your parents just weren't very into religion, and so you just never really were exposed to it, right? Yes. Okay. Well, that's uh, not something that I've experienced yet. Most a lot of the LGBT people who are atheist or agnostic usually they realize that there's a big division between how they feel and what the what their religion that they believe in. Is says is acceptable, and usually that can drive a wedge between them and their religion, but it doesn't seem that that was your experience in this case. So how did you start to connect with other people? Do you go and participate in sort of groups or meetups with LGBT people, or do you have some sort of social network with LGBT people that LGBT people that you connect to? There's various groups online that I'm connected to, and I'm also part. Also, there's also Rainbow Alliance on campus, and we meet and discuss discuss LGBT issues. Okay, and so what's the what's the Rainbow Alliance? Tell me about that. So it's like what most people think was GSAs or Gay Straight Alliances. Oh, okay, yeah, like the Gay Straight Alliance. Okay, and yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. As the name's meant to be more inclusive. The Rainbow Alliance is meant to be more inclusive? The name. Yeah, right. The the name, the Rainbow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, So what are some of the things you guys talk about in there? You said you talk about current events. What are some of the recent recent topics and things that you guys talked about in there? I'd be interested in knowing more about that. Like not necessarily current events, but LGBT issues. We also talk about ourselves. But we talk, some of the issues we talk about are trans history or history of LGBT rights and queer body positivity. Okay. And so could you maybe, um, can you share something with the audience that you've learned 
in those meetings that you didn't know until you started going there? Like what was something you were like, huh, I didn't really know that. And now it's good to know, you know, maybe some organizations or some information or uh, some, you know, facts you weren't aware of about LGBT people. So coming from that historical perspective at Stonewall, that trans women started uh, fighting for rights. So it's at that time that the transgender community became involved with LGB. So we're in this together. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. Um, do you have any specific examples of when they started fighting? I'd like to look it up and learn more about it. And I need some more information to look that up. Um, where do you think I could go to find more information about that? So I'll just start searching up Stonewall riots. That's really where all of the riot protests started for getting rights. Okay. So I, I've heard of the Stonewall riots, and um, yes. I know a little bit about them. So I'll have to read into that more. I haven't really researched it in depth, but I know that was a big moment in history for LGBT people. And I probably should take some time to read into that more. So moving on, I want to talk about some some of the concerns you have for LGBT people for the future. Um, there's been a lot of political changes in the United States with the new president, uh, President Trump, and Congress becoming uh, controlled by the Republicans in both the Senate and the House. Um, so what's the biggest concern for you? It says here you're worried about conservative making conservatism. It looks like you're worried about conservatism making a comeback. Uh, here in Europe and in the United States. What are the things you think will be most difficult uh, now that that is making a comeback? Well, there's various laws that would allow for discrimination of LGBT community and supposedly protect religion and religious expression. And yeah. that's not something that's unique to the United States. There have also been conservatives that want to get more religious protections in Europe as well, like Poland, for example, with abortion was a recent issue and restricting that availability. Yeah. Okay. It usually does seem that the uh, the religious people want to uh, exert their influence into government, especially maybe in countries that aren't as uh, democratic as the United States. We are definitely seeing a resurgence of conservatism here, and I am definitely concerned for the rights of LGBT people with our current administration. Maybe not uh, my friends who tell me that, you know, well, Trump isn't, you know, spouting anti-LGBT stuff, which is, for the most part, it's pretty true. Um, with There are exceptions to that, but definitely members of his cabinet, um, his vice president, there are plenty of people in his administration that are anti-LGBT people that really give me uh, some big concerns. And I hope that we can make it through this four years without taking any really big hits to the LGBT community as far as their rights and equality is concerned. So I share that concern with most LGBT people as well, that that's something we're going to have to be watchful of and really make sure that when they start to try and infringe on those rights that we uh, stand up and speak out and, and protect them. Um, so there's plenty to be concerned about for the future with the political administration and the, and the climate change as far as accepting of LGBT people. But I want to try and stay a little more positive and talk about some of the things that make you hopeful about the future. So what's something that you look towards as a ray of hope and saying, you know, we may have an administration that is not supportive of LGBT people, but this thing gives me hope. What is that? Well, Trump has seemed to be the catalyst for a lot of people speaking up and organizing. So now there will be more people that are openly defending these rights, too. So even though there are people that are conservative and outspoken about those ideas, there are also people 
they're more willing to fight now to fight against those policies. Yeah, so like when a fire breaks out, right, people get the fire extinguishers. And so uh, when you have someone who's as outspoken or at least as seems to be as conservative enough to incorporate anti-LGBT people into their cabinet and into their government, that that like a fire bringing out the fire extinguisher brings out the supporters of LGBT people in greater numbers and they, and they create a bigger voice. And that's actually a good way to look at it. I never really thought about it like that, that because of Trump, it has uh, been a catalyst for many people to be more outspoken and speak publicly in support of LGBT people. And so that is definitely finding the silver lining uh, on a dark cloud. And that's a good way to look at it. Did you ever seek any sort of, counseling or help from any LGBT organizations um, before or after you started transitioning? Well, not necessarily from LGBT organizations themselves, since those do provide support groups. And one that I know of is MTUG, or Metro Trans Morale Group, that has various support groups and resources, but I didn't use those. I do see a therapist related to transition that is well-versed in this kind of thing, so... Okay. And do you think that's been a big help to you as far as being a, a transgender person and, and working through your transition? Well, right now I'm still in the starting stages of that therapy, but I think it's helped clarify my gender and my identity. Okay. So it is, it's a good thing that you went and did that and you're getting some benefit from it. Yes. And it'll come and help later on to discussing further medical transitioning. Okay. Well, that's good. So as far as... um. It seems like you're getting help from a therapist, like you said, and are you aware of any LGBT organizations that you want to share with the audience? Um, Do you have anything that you want to make aware that people may not be aware of? Well, as I mentioned, there's MTUG specifically in St. Louis. Uh, Planned Parenthood is always a very good one. There are various groups, various locations for that, and they can provide hormones as well, and testing for STIs, and then also one of the lifelines that's, um, I'm sorry, I forgot the English word. <laughs> You're a trans lifeline operator? Well, yes, but I was saying that the trans lifeline is, stands out in, compared to other lifelines since it's by trans people, so all of our operators are trans and for trans people, and we don't practice active rest, so we won't call the police or ambulance okay. on anyone because of there tends to be negative interactions between especially the police and trans people. Okay. So you, you're you an operator at the Trans Lifeline then? Yes. And do you, I'm sure, I hope, uh, as a good operator, you would have the number to call if someone wanted to call that number and get help. What What's the number for the Trans Lifeline? The Trans Lifeline number is 877-565-8860. Okay. And so that's that's a really good resource. I didn't know that that there was a trans lifeline. I'm definitely going to look that up and I'll post links to that on the show notes and on the website. And I'll definitely make that number available when I post this show so that anyone out there, if you're a trans person and you need to talk to someone, if you're having a crisis, definitely leverage the people over at the trans lifeline. It sounds like it's for trans people by trans people. They don't, they won't get police involved and, you don't have to have any sort of fear of repercussions or, or intervention from authorities because you're having a crisis. And it seems like uh, because it's run by trans people that they definitely have a unique perspective and, and will be able to be there and give you the support that maybe a cisgender or a non-trans person can give you. And so 
for all the listeners out there, if you're a trans person and you're ever in a crisis, please, before you do anything rash, make sure you call the trans lifeline and, and talk to someone. And the trans lifeline isn't just for when you're in a crisis, but if you're looking for resources or want to talk to another trans person and you're feeling isolated, because a lot of trans people, especially in rural areas, can be very isolated from the community. And this is a way of reaching out. Okay. Well, that's definitely good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. So definitely if you're looking for information or you need to contact someone and speak to someone who can understand you in a way that other people can't and you're isolated, like uh, like my guest said, make sure you reach out to them and, and, you know, make connections with people who understand you. Thank you. I didn't, I kind of drew the conclusion because it's a lifeline that it was a crisis line. So thank you for clarifying. Okay. So that's pretty much it. Colin, I really thank you for being on the show. I hope everything goes well for you. For everyone out there, remember, support the Trans Lifeline if you can. If you're available to be an operator, if you're interested, I'm sure you can call them and ask about how you can be an operator and help trans people who want more information or who may be in crisis or who are just looking to connect with other trans people. So please go out there, learn more about the Trans Lifeline, support it in any way that you can. And I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. Um, I want to thank you, Colin, for being on the show and sharing your experience. It sounds like you may have been a little um, uh, nervous about talking about your experience, and I know that English may not be your first language, and so I know it could have been a little difficult for you to share the experience. So I hope it wasn't too uncomfortable for you, and I hope that we didn't invade your privacy too much and that the experience was comfortable for you. Thank everyone for listening, and I know that together we can make the world a better place for LGBT people. Uh, please consider donating to the Trans Lifeline or any other LGBT organizations. You can donate time or money to things like the Trans Lifeline. One of my personal favorites is the Trevor Lifeline for LGBT people who are in crisis and who need support. If you want to contact me, remember you can always contact me at major at straightupgaypodcast.com. You can always follow the show on Twitter at Podcast. Join me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash straightupgaypodcast, or you can just use the search feature in Facebook and search for Straight Up Gay Podcast. You can like the show, you can follow the show, you can send me messages on there. So if you are interested in contacting me, the Facebook page is always a good way to reach out to me. Uh, remember, the po the podcast has a blog page at www.straightupgaypodcast.com. I list all the services that people share on the show here, as well as links to the audio on iTunes and Google Play so that you can listen to the show and subscribe. Please subscribe, leave reviews. If you enjoy the show and you think that what I'm doing here is good and you really like it, please give us a five-star rating and share the show with other people and give me a good review so that more people can hear about the experience of LGBT people and Hopefully, if we can reach a large enough crowd, we can start to make a real difference in this world for LGBT people and improve the acceptance of, of them in our society and in our culture. Remember, I want to remind everyone again that the show is no longer hosted on SoundCloud. I may post individual episodes, but there won't be an archive there. Just remember, if you want to stream the show, you can go to Pinecast and search for the Straight Up Gay podcast, and you'll be able to reach my site from there, and you can also leave tips. Uh, if you want to support the show, I'm pretty much funding the entire podcast out of my own pocket. I'm paying for space to host the audio, and I am paying for domain names and other things, buying you know equipment to record, 
And so if you want to support the show, please, if you think what I'm doing is good and you want to keep it going, uh, help me fund the show by going on Pinecast, finding my show, and leaving a tip. Uh, right now, the level of participation in the paid service that I have only allows tips up to $20. So if you try to leave a larger tip than $20, you'll get an error saying that the, it's too much and you'll have to use a lower amount. But any amount of money you can give would be helpful. And if you want to support the show, it would definitely help me keep the show on air. Um, so thanks for everyone for listening. And I will see you guys on episode eight.